So dumb things that sound smart. Lots of things sound smart. I know one time we uh, actually were gone on a uh, staff retreat. So it was me and uh, Pastor Tony, Pastor Brian. Uh, Conley was with us. You know, anywhere Conley is, it's, you know, there's a party, right? If you know Conley, he's the worship leader. So Conley's full speed. And uh, so we're, you know, Conley is also an engineer. I don't know if you know that, but he's, uh, I believe, an electrical engineer. And so he knows about plans. And, you know, so he's very familiar with looking at uh, building plans. And so that's his job. And uh, so we're going on this retreat. Well, we had rented this, uh, this house. And so, you know, we go to this house and we, we get, you know, groceries and everything. And so we show up and... Um, so we, you know, the little kitchen was a little, you know, kind of like a U-shaped kitchen. So we're, you know, we had some food that night, cooked and got everything finished up. And so we decided, hey, all right, well, let's, let's start loading the dishwasher. So we, uh, we go to open the dishwasher. And when we open the dishwasher, the stove was on this side and the dishwasher was on this side. So I don't know if this makes any sense to you. And so as we would open the dishwasher, you could only open it to about this angle. So, you know, you only had like a pizza's wedge worth of room to get inside of the dishwasher. Why is that? Because some genius decided when they built that kitchen that they should pack it in so tight that when they put the stove into the kitchen, the dishwasher would only move so, so much. So apparently they put the dishwasher in first and thought, oh, yeah, this thing works great. Yeah, it fits perfect. And so then they put the stove in. Well, now you couldn't use the dishwasher. Now, I mean, this is a nice house, fully functional kitchen. I mean, you know, it's got all the bells and whistles, you know. And so we're thinking, who in the world looked at this and thought, this looks pretty good. I think we've done a great job here, guys. Right? You know, there's a blueprint for that house. Someone designed it. Someone laid out the plan. Someone took thought and measurements, and they were very good with a ruler and a protractor and many other things, and they designed all of this layout. And then someone looked at that and thought, I can build this. And so they came in, and they started doing all the work. And then, you know, when they came to finish out the house, somebody went and bought appliances, and they did the measurements, and they thought, yeah, it's, you know, 30 inches wide or whatever it is. And so they brought it in, and they, they installed everything. Someone looked at a blueprint and thought, this is an amazing house, and we have done a fantastic job. Until, right, until they came in. For me, that's a deal breaker. You know, if I were, you know, if I was looking for a house and I was going in to the kitchen and they said, all right, here's our kitchen. Now, you know, this house is phenomenal. It's got a great yard, but the dishwasher can't be open because the stove's in the way. I'm out. I'm not buying that house. Right? That's the deal breaker for me. And so as I thought about tonight, you know, we're thinking about blueprints. And I thought about this blueprint for this house that whoever designed this house. You see, when they decided to build the kitchen, here's what happened. Somebody went off script, right? That's what happened. Somebody said, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I can do that. And they put it away, and they went off of memory or ideas or for fun or whatever they did. They went to building that kitchen and designing the layout and getting the, you know, the uh, cabinetry and, and everything, the countertops, everything was done. But somewhere along the line, somebody went off script. 
Here's what they did. They, they eyeballed it. Have you ever eyeballed anything? You know, cutting wood, what do they say? Measure twice, cut once. They did not do that. They did not do that. They, they made an executive decision. You know, uh, the foreman's not here today. I say, let's go with it. And someone made the decision to go with that. Now, here's the parallel. For some people, maybe for most people, we often feel the same way about our own lives. Can I get an amen, right? Like if you're watching the script of your own life, you feel like sometimes somebody went off script here, which is you, by the way. Somebody went off script. Like you, you, you decided to eyeball that decision. You decided, you know what, I'm just going to go for it and we'll just see what happens. Maybe you even close your eyes and hope for the best. That's some people's strategy. And I'm not going to ask you to embarrass yourself and raise your hand tonight. But maybe that's you, that you just say, you know what, I just hope for the best and whatever happens, happens. That doesn't sound like a very good strategy to me. But see, on the other side of the pendulum, here's what we think. With that logic, here's what we think. We're raised, a lot of people are raised to believe this. To believe that God has a blueprint for your life. That God's got this very specific, detailed, laid out plan for Matt. And Matt's going to do this at 12, and Matt's going to do this at 18, and Matt's going to do this at 25, all the way across the board. Now, when you hear that, listen, I know here's what your heart is saying. Well, of course I believe that. I'm a Baptist. I believe that. I believe that God has a very specific, detailed, laid out plan of every step of the way of what I am to do with my life. And your heart says, yes, I believe that. How can that not be true? Well, let's see. Here's the problem with that logic. What happens when you go off script? What happens when you eyeball it? What happens when you make an executive decision? In other words, if there is a detailed, laid out blueprint plan for your life that God is looking at and he says, all right, yep, um, six foot, all right, that's it, all right, 190 pounds, all right, that's what, you're right, you know, and then, all right, and he's going to do this and he's going to do, and then he looks down on earth and he's like, well, this is not the same thing, right? Well, he, he lives in Mississippi and he was supposed to live in North Carolina. What happens when you make a mistake? I'll tell you what happens when you make a mistake. You end up like that kitchen in Alabama, right? You got a, one part that won't open because the other part's in the way. And so when we live our lives believing that there's this specific only one thing way that I can do with my life, and then guess what happens? I make a mistake in my life. Well, then you've just messed up the whole thing. We can't build that house anymore. You've already, we've got to totally renovate and totally redo everything. You see, for most, if not all, you know, most people who believe this, you've always believed that God's got this very specific will that involves exact details of what? Well, exact details of which job you should have. How many conversations have I had about that? Of which person you should marry. And you believe that if you mess that up, that you have completely derailed the life that you could have had. And so dumb things number three tonight that we're going to explore is this. God has a detailed blueprint for my life. And that I've got to do exactly what that blueprint says or I'm out. I can't make any more decisions. 
You see, tonight we're going to talk about what it means to hear from God and to follow the will of God for your life. Now, certainly, I'm not going to answer all of your questions in 45 minutes. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to explore what does that look like? Because here's what's happened. If I'm guessing where some of you are, here's where you're at. You believe those things to be true. And in the beginning of your walk with Jesus, you felt like God told you to do some specific things. A couple of those things were probably um, that God specifically, you felt led to share your faith with someone specific. Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a, a co-worker, whatever it may have been. So you felt that God, at the beginning of your walk with Him and following Jesus, you felt there were some very specific things that God called you to do. Which is, I would say probably, I would say it's true, I would say probably true to be fair here, that that's true. That, yes, God God probably did that, that he probably told you some very specific things that he wanted you to do. And then here's what happened. Somewhere along the lines, God told you to do something or you felt led to do something that you did not do, whatever that may be. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to presuppose. And so here's what happened. Then you felt like because you didn't do that, you messed up. And it's been a while since you feel like you've heard from God. Now, again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for the sake of maybe your embarrassment or whatever, but I'm probably right on a lot of you that you would say, I feel like it's really been a while since I could say without fail that this is what God wants me to do. And the reason for that is because most people in that situation feel like that if they didn't do exactly at the exact time and the exact place and the exact thing, then they were never going to hear from God again because they ruined the blueprint. They did the wrong thing. And so because of that, they couldn't go back and redesign the kitchen because then that would mess up the living room. And then that would mess up the upstairs. And then I've blown the whole thing up. And so I hope tonight that this will be helpful for you in answering that question. You see, when we say that there's this detailed blueprint that we can mess up, we are confusing God's omniscience or God's ability to know everything with His divine will. Now, here's what I don't want you to do, and here's where you're going to get in trouble in this situation, is that you uh, relate God to your understanding. All right? So what does that mean? You and I are confined by space and time. So there's things that we can't do and things we can do because we're limited by time. And I can't go back to yesterday and change anything. And I can't go to tomorrow and, and prepare something, right? All I've got, all you've got is right now. And so we can't go back and change that. But God is not limited by time and space. You know, there's a song, Casting Crown Sings, and it says he's already there right? That he already knows at the end of your life how your life's going to end. Every day, the Bible says, is spelled out for you and me. God knows absolutely everything that'll ever happen about you. That's because he's omniscient. And if you really think about it long enough, you want him to be omniscient. You want to believe in a God that knows everything. Because if you believe in a God who doesn't know everything, then that God can be caught by surprise or caught off guard, and therefore he's not God, right? You want to believe you need to believe in a God who's omniscient, who knows absolutely everything. But there's a difference in God knowing everything and His divine will and that He would force you to do the things that He wants you to do. Right? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. 
How, there are so many ways for that not to happen. Have you ever thought about that? What if there's not a tree? Simple fix, right? I'm God. I don't want Adam and Eve to sin. And so what do I do? I don't even give them a chance to do it. I was talking to somebody about this this week. Uh, I said, here's a simple example. Um, in our house, there is no soda. It's not that we're health nuts and, you know, we try to, you know, do all these healthy things. I just know if there's a Pepsi in my house, I'm going to drink it. I like Pepsi a lot. And so if I have it available, I'm going to drink a Pepsi. And I feel like with the tree in the garden, God could have simply said, you know what? I really don't want Adam and Eve to sin. And I know in my omniscience that they are going to sin if I put that tree there. So I just won't put a tree there. And then guess what? No sin, and everyone's happy. But did they choose not to do it if it's not there, right? There is no free will for Adam and Eve if there is no tree or choice to do the wrong thing. So there's a difference in God forcing us to do what he wants us to do and God knowing what we will do, okay? You see, God in his omniscience does, in fact, know everything. It is one of the things that make him God, but because God allows us to have free will, because of his love for us, because that he has great things in store for us, he is not going to force us to do that. Again, it would have been very easy to simply eliminate that. You know, I thought of some other options that didn't quite make the cut. Adam and Eve could have been born blind and not seen the tree. That would have been simple too, right? I mean, I thought of a few things here. Uh, God could have put a guard before the tree. God could have made the tree on uh, a top of a 200-foot stilt, and they never could have reached it. Right? I thought of all, I was just letting my mind wander, like there's so many ways that this could be. And yet God said, you know what, I'm going to make it available. It's going to be right there, accessible, and I'm going to tell you not to do it. And, of course, we know they did it. Remember the experiment that we did here a few years ago? Maybe your kids were a part of it. Mine were. Pastor Tony sometimes does things that uh, they're really funny, all right? And so uh, he decided a few years ago that he would take kids into a room and he would do an experiment, that he would put uh, candy in front of them while he was videoing, and he would say, don't, y'all, anybody remember this? He would say, don't touch it. And then he would leave the room while the video camera's running, and they would, you know, then, of course, they're watching through the, and then the kids are sitting there with this candy in front of them, and they were told, don't touch it, don't eat it, right? It was marshmallows and different things. And so, what, in the course of that, uh, there's still a video out there somewhere, and in the course of that, there were several different kids. You know, one, one kid would look at it, and, uh, and he would, you know, talk to himself. Hey, look, he said not to eat that. I mean, it's amazing. There's these three- and four-year-olds that are having conversations with themselves, negotiating. You know, it's kind of like the cartoon, right? Good's on one side, bad's on the other. And he's like, yeah, you should eat it. Marshmallows are delicious. And then the other one's like, no, you should not do that. He said not to do it. And so, you know, there's this conversation that these kids are having with themselves about eating or not eating this candy. But without fail, do you know what happened to all of that candy? It went into their little bellies, right? Every one of them were like, put it in their mouth. And then Pastor Tony would come in and, in the video, and he was like, hey, um, do, do you know what, what happened? Did you eat this candy? And, oh, no, uh, no, I don't know what happened to it, right? It, there's this experiment, this human experiment, right, that you know, Tony was doing to see you know, what would they do. All of the kids, they're eating this candy, having these conversations. And see, you know, for us, 
we would say, hey, you know, if God would just tell me, don't eat that candy, then I wouldn't do it. Really? Talk to Adam and Eve about it, right? And so we say that we want this divine, audible, exact, here's what you should do, voice from God. And oftentimes we spend, you know, many, many days or weeks or months or years agonizing over that. You see, when we think of God's will, here's what we say. We would all agree that it is one of the most important things in our life, right? That we have these decisions that we want to make. Maybe you're here tonight. Uh, you know, chances are there's somebody in the room that there's a decision that you're trying to make. And you want to know, God, what do you want me to do with this decision? Is, is it a job? God, do you want me to take this promotion or take this job or move or buy this house or marry this person? Whatever it may be, God, what is it that you want me to do? You see, we would say it is one of the most important things that God wants us to do. But here's what we would also say. Some of you, maybe most of you, would equally say that you feel as though sometimes God's will is very elusive, right? That you'd say, well, if I just knew what God wanted me to do. And oftentimes I, I would say we, we may would even quantify that by saying, you know, talking about what decision that we're trying to make. You know, so, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, in human terms, we would say, well, if it's a big decision, then I really need to be more intentional about God, what God wants me to do. But if it's a small decision, you know, like where am I going to eat supper tonight, really doesn't matter. Or, you know, whether or not I participate in this or that, not that big of a deal. But the big moments, quote, those are the things I really want to know what God wants me to do. You see, if God's will is so important, why do people seem to believe it's so difficult to know? Good question, right? So here's the good news. The good news is that God doesn't have a blueprint, per se, for our lives, but He does have a game plan for our lives. God doesn't have a blueprint, per se, in that you can mess up the details, but He does have a game plan. And so we're going to explore what that game plan is, and if we learn what the game plan is, guess what it's going to do? It's going to help us make decisions according to, to God's will. That's what we want to do, right? That's, what the, that's the question that we're answering. And so the good news is God does have a game plan. You see, the difference is with the blueprint, you have to follow all of the details to a T. And if you mess up one of those details, you can, you can ruin the entire plan. Now, if you've ever put together anything for kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Several years ago, uh, Santa was coming, and so we uh, Santa and his elves built a, uh, a bunk bed for our kids. And so uh, he delivered it, and it was uh, not put together. I don't know why Santa does that. Or, you know, like trampolines and stuff. Why does he not just put it together? And so he delivered this bunk bed, and it was not put together. So guess what? You know, Dad had to put this bunk bed together. And so it's, I don't know, 12 or 1 a.m. on Christmas Eve night, and I'm in there putting together the bunk bed. Now, if you've ever put together a bunk bed, you know that bunk beds have two levels, right? And the upper level has rails, at least good bunk beds do, as to prevent little children from falling off or jumping off the top bunk, right? So I'm putting together all of, you know, these little, uh, you know, banisters that go in there, and you got to drill one at the top and, you know, screw one at the top, screw one on the bottom, so you got to do every section. And so I get all of that done. I've been working about an hour, hour and a half, and I get to the other side where I'm going to put it all together, and then I realize what? Oh, man, 
I put the wrong thing on the wrong side. And so guess what I had to do? I had to unscrew every one of those little banisters and swap the sides because there was no way that I could rig it to make it work. Because trust me, I tried to think of every option possible. So, you know, I go back and I made that one mistake, so I had to redo everything. You know, in life sometimes we think, I wish I could have a redo. I wish I could do that over. I wish I could not say that again or do that again or whatever it may be. And that is when we believe that somehow, some way, we've got the ability or the capacity to ruin what God has in store for us. You see, with the blueprint, if we mess up, we mess the whole thing up. You see, this is when we feel like we've gone off script when it comes to God's will for our lives. But with a game plan, well, a game plan's different. You see, what a game plan does is it sets forth the guidelines and the principles. So God says, here's the guidelines of what I want you to do. Adam and Eve, there's a garden, and it is far, it is far beyond what you could ever imagine. And I'm putting you right in the middle of that garden. I'm giving it to you. You're inheriting this from me. And here's the guidelines. Here's the, you can just go this far, and here's the principles. Here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do. And what those guidelines and principles do is it gave freedom and flexibility. And so when there's freedom and flexibility, you can adjust and you can change. I think of the Atlanta Falcons. And I think of how they were winning 29-3 to a few years ago in the Super Bowl. And they were beating uh, my least favorite team, the Patriots. Right? And they had, a good, they had a good game plan going until halftime. And then Bill Belichick took the Patriots in the locker room and he says, all right, guys, I want you to deflate all the footballs. I'm kidding. That was a joke. He says, here's the new game plan. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, that was good. I got to give myself credit on that one. He said, here's the new game plan. Here's what I want to do. And they changed their game plan, and they adjusted. And guess what? They won the stinking game. The Falcons played prevent instead of offense, and they lost that stinking game. They could have beat them. And so that's the deal with us is that, you know what, it might be halftime in your life, and you may be looking at the scoreboard and thinking, you know what, we're down 29-3. to We should just give up. But think about it. God is still not finished with you. That God has a game plan for you. And that regardless if you feel like you're winning or you're losing, that's irrelevant. Just follow the guidelines and the principles and you will get to where God wants you to be. You see, God cares much more about how we work than where we work. Listen, your integrity at your job, regardless of what you do, whoa, is way more important your integrity is way more important than where you work. You can work at Walmart. You can work at Home Depot. You can work for Ingalls. There's all kinds of things that you can do. God's more interested in how you do your job, how your integrity shows itself, how your character, how you present yourself at your job than where you work. He's more, he's more interested in how you live your life in front of your neighbors than where you live. Look, if you're trying to accumulate the biggest house in the neighborhood and the most toys and all those different things, guess what? That's not how God wants you to live. Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to love your neighbor. So where you live is not as important as how you live. And how you do your marriage is more important than who you marry. All right? So I know a lot of people, I've got, you know, I've got a junior in high school. I know that, you know, that becomes a big conversation of, hey, well, what does this look like? How are you treating your spouse? How are you living your life with your spouse? What are you accomplishing for the kingdom with your spouse? That's what God's interested in. 
God gave you the freedom and the choice to marry who you married or who you will marry. And so when we believe that there's only one blueprint, it causes some dangerous side effects in our lives. And there's some of you that are stuck in a couple of these zones. The first one is you're paralyzed with fear. You don't want to make a mistake. You're paralyzed with fear. You don't want to make a mistake. And so you say, well, God, you know, I would, I would do something for God, but I'm just afraid I might mess up. I might, I might do the wrong thing. You see, being driven by fear is probably the most uncomfortable and the most damaging It spoils your relationships by draining your capacity to live. And it robs you of wisdom by always keeping you looking side to side, right? You're you're afraid of what might happen over here. You're afraid you may do the wrong thing over here. And so it's really, really hard to overcome fear because, you know, it's often been referred to as paralysis by analysis, right? Well, what if I do this? And what if I do this? And what if I do this? And so you begin to overthink things, and then in the long run, you end up doing nothing. You see, when we're afraid to make the wrong decision, it paralyzes our decision-making. We end up doing nothing because we're afraid that we'll do the wrong thing. Well, here's the good news in this situation. There is always a path of obedience in every situation. So what am I saying? Well, I'm saying this, that if you want to know what God wants you to do and you say, but I've already made a mistake and and I've put myself in this situation that's bad. I feel like I've done the wrong thing. Here's the good news. There is a way out. That God God has created a path of obedience, not that you would be uh, void of the consequences, but that you would be void of the direction that God could move you out of that situation. Now, you may have consequences for whatever it is that you did. But there's a way of obedience that God is moving you to where he wants you to be. And so fear can paralyze you into doing nothing. Well, the second thing that some people tend to do is they focus on the wrong thing. Instead of being paralyzed by fear, they become focused on the wrong thing. You see, when we get so tied up about a situation, here's what we do. We fail to focus on the things that really matter. You ever had a decision you had to make, and the only thing you could think about was making a decision about that decision, right? And all you can think about is, i gotta, I got to make a decision. God, what is it you want me to do? And, and you're seeking counsel, and you're asking, you know, different people or different situations, and you're praying and praying and praying, God, what is it that you want me to do? And the decision becomes your focus. You see, instead of focused on living a life of holiness, instead of focused on loving others well, we fixate on our decision And it becomes the most important thing in our lives. Have you ever been there that you become so focused on that? Well, you see, we were never intended for that to be that way. We were never intended to be the center of our own universe. God has always been the center of our universe. So when we get so tied up about these decisions and we focus on the decision instead of focusing on the God and whom we want to please with our decision. Amen? And so what happens is we begin to fixate on ourselves. And what happens in these situations is some people expect God to answer for something that they desire. So they say, God, here's what I want you to do. And they want God to answer that because that's their desire. But look what the rest of it says. But they fail to follow God on the things that he desires. 
Do you think that God is going to answer your, he's going to give you what you want when you're not doing what God wants you to do? There's things that you know, it's called general revelation, and you know, we're not going to unpack all that tonight, but there's a thing called general revelation. It's the things that we know for humanity that God wants us to do. What are some of those things? Well, we know, number one, that God wants us to, to, to do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing that we know God wants us to do is to love our neighbors. And we're not, we're not good at that sometimes. So what if we decided, God, when you want me to do something, well, there's something that you want me to do, God, I want to do that. I want to be available to do that. But in the meantime, God, until I know what it is that you want me to do next, I'm going to be faithful to do what I know you wanted me to do today, right? I'm going to do what you desire, God, instead of me pursuing the things that I desire. Because here's where you find yourself, a lot of people in these situations. God, I really want a bigger house or a different house or a new neighborhood or new neighbors. Here's what I want, God. God, would you show me where it is that you'd have for me to live? Who benefits from that? Me. Or I say, God, I really want a different job, or I want this job, or, you know, I'm really praying that you would give me this promotion. And what do we begin to do? We begin to pursue the things that we want. Now, again, that's, that's where we start to run into problems is we've got the wrong focus. So on your handout, you'll notice Jeremiah chapter 42. So the Israelites, they're running from the Babylonians. All right, so the Babylonians are, are in pursuit of the Israelites. And so in chapter 42 of Jeremiah, they come to Jeremiah. It says, all the commanders of the forces and Johanan, uh, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshahiah, uh, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near. So everybody, suffice it to say, they came to Jeremiah and they said to the prophet Jeremiah, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant. So everybody came and said, we want you to pray for everybody. They said, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. To which you and me and probably every other Christian on the planet have at some point or another said that exact thing, right? God, what is it that you want me to do, and where is it that you want me to go? Now, they're in desperation here. We can relate. God, we need to know what you want us to do. God, where do you want us to go? I remember when uh, God uh, moved us from Mississippi to Virginia, and, you know, specifically, uh, you know, paraphrasing the story, God used the Scripture uh, to start sending us in that direction, and then we confirmed it uh, through counsel and uh, circumstances, and so we moved to Virginia, and so we had been in Virginia for a short period of time, and then I began to second-guess the decision that I'd made. Is that what God wanted me to do? Is this the right place? Is this where I ought to go? And so the Israelites are in that same situation. God, I thought this is what you wanted me to do. And we're kind of in a big spot here, God. You know, I live in Virginia and I don't have a job and I have a family and what am I supposed to be doing here? The Israelites are the same way. If the Babylonians catch up with us, we're dead. Jeremiah, we need you to ask God, what should we do and where should we go? We can all relate to that. And you can go back and read some more, 42 if you like to. But, but in uh, verse 19, so, you know, as you read, here's what happens. So Jeremiah prayed, 
Ten days later, God answers. And in, in verse 19, 42, 19, the Lord has said to you, it's Jeremiah, everybody gather around, gather around. Here's what God said. And he says, the Lord has said to you, he's very specific here, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Do not go to Egypt. The heading in your Bible probably says, do not go to Egypt. It says, warning against going to Egypt in my Bible. Right? So the subtitle, do not go to Egypt. Is that very clear? No, for a certainty, as though that wasn't clear enough, that I have warned you this day. What did he warn them? Do not go to Egypt. God specifically told them not to go to Egypt. God specifically, you read on, God specifically told them to put their trust and their faith in him and that he would protect them and he would deliver them. So what do you think Judah did? Well, in chapter 43, in verse 4, what does it say? It says, So J, the son of K, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. And guess where they went? To Egypt. To Egypt. They went to stink in Egypt. When God specific, they came before God, God's man, Jeremiah, and they said, what should we do? Where should we go? And, and Jeremiah says, no problem. I'll, I'll be happy to ask God for you. And 10 days later, which I would say is a very quick answer prayer, right? That 10 days later, he comes forth and he says, all right, guys, here's what God said. Don't go to Egypt. Don't do this. Because God knew where they were going. That's where you see divine will and omniscience in the same exact place. God knew they were going to go to Egypt. But God gave them the free choice to make that decision. And he warned them, don't do that. Right? That, what does the Bible say? That sin is what? Pleasurable but for a season. Isn't that what the Bible says? And so here's what we do, is we begin to pursue the things that we desire instead of pursuing the things that God desires. This is after Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and plans for a future, right? And then they get chased by the Babylonians, and they're like, oh, God, what do we do? Please tell us, God, we'll do what you want us to do. And they didn't do what God wanted them to do. So the first place that we look here is this, is that God wants us to do things. God is very clear in what he wants us to do. But here's what God is most interested in your life. If you miss anything tonight, do not miss this. Here is God's will for your life tonight. God's will for you and for me is that he is most interested in who you are becoming it is not in you finding some miracle answer. It is not you having some uh, cloud spell out the words in the sky. It is not you having an epiphany or a dream or a vision or whatever you want to fill in the blank. Here's what God's interested in. He can do all of those things. I believe that God can do anything. He can do anything. He could take all of the pews and he could spell out what he wanted you to do. But here's what he's most interested in. He's most interested in your heart. 
He's most interested in who you are becoming, that you are not becoming someone that you want to be. And you're not becoming someone that the world is creating you to be, but that you and I are becoming who he created us to be. That's what God is most interested in. And for the Israelites, for the, for the nation of Judah in Jeremiah 42 and 43, you know what God is trying to teach them? That I love you, Judah, and that I will provide for you, and that your decisions have put you in this situation. But there is a path of obedience for you to get out, for you to know what I want you to do, for you to have clarity in the direction. But it starts with becoming all throughout Scripture. There's been some bad choices that people have made, and we'd spend the rest of the night tonight talking about those choices. But here's what you'll find about those bad decisions that are recorded in Scripture. Those bad decisions are more the result of ungodly character than of insufficient or unclear guidance from God. So what I'm telling you tonight is that when we find ourselves in situations to where we made bad decisions, it is not because God is unclear. It is not because God is unclear. It is because God is interested in who we are becoming. And most oftentimes when we struggle with decisions like this, we are struggling with our desires versus his desires. You see, certainly there are times, as I mentioned earlier, that God speaks very specific things. The call to ministry for me, very specific. There's things that God, when we moved to Virginia, very specific. The things that God orchestrated for us to move to Gulfport, very specific. There are things that God does in our lives that are very specific things. There's been stories that I've been told or I've heard you tell uh, of things that have happened in, in the lives of people in our church. Uh, there's a story, uh, there, there's many stories that are rattling through my head right now that I think about and I think there is no way that anyone could have known that except for God. But you see, often God allows you and I to make decisions when and if our pursuit is His holiness. Is His holiness. You see, that's the reason that people may think that God's will is hard to find. It's because God is allowing you to make the decision within the confines of His principles. You see, all the basic guidelines and principles for you and I to live within the will of God are found in Scripture. It is not a hide-and-go-seek game. God is so intentional about us knowing Him and His character and His nature and the things in which He wants for us. He gave us 66 books written over several hundred years that we would know exactly what His will for us is. It is the number one best-selling book of all time. It is the most inerrant book of all time. As a matter of fact, it is the only inerrant book ever written. And one person believes, right? And so the Bible is the Scriptures in which God has declared what it is in which He wants us to do. You see, all of the basic guidelines and principles to live within His will are found in Scripture. So God's desire is what? Well, if His will is for us uh, to, is found in Scripture, well, what is that? Well, God's desire is this, that you and I would walk in wisdom. 
And so we're about to swim in the deep end for a second. All right, that God's will for you is that you and I would walk in wisdom. What does that mean? What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean that we would walk in wisdom? Well, wisdom is simply the ability to apply true principles in a way that produces right living. It is a way... It's the ability to apply true principles in a way that produces right living. There is a way that seems right unto man. Isn't that what the Bible says? Right? There's a way. Wisdom is that we would take the true principles, though, and that that would produce right living, not according to man, but according to God. You see, God's desire is that we would all live in wisdom. So much so, God's desire is that we would live in wisdom in, in that over 25% of the Bible is considered wisdom literature. Think about that. Over 25% of the Bible, if you include the book of Psalms, is, is what's coined or known as wisdom literature. So clearly, it is important to God that we would become wise in our thinking. As we think about wisdom literature, well, there's a few books that are included in that. It's been said that the book of Psalms well, it cut it off the top. The book of Psalms well, what is the wisdom that we learn in the book of Psalms? Well, the book of Psalms teaches us how to pray. So the book of Psalms gives us wisdom and how that we should communicate to the Lord. So that's the wisdom of prayer. Well, how about Proverbs? Well, Proverbs is, is that we would be taught how to do what? That we would be taught how to act. Proverbs says that this is the way that we should act. That's the wisdom how to live. Job teaches us what? How to suffer. Job teaches us how to suffer well. That we would, in wisdom, respond to the bad calamities that inevitably happen in our life. What does Song of Solomon do? Well, Song of Solomon teaches us how to love. These are all, these are all considered wisdom literature. Again, over 25% of the Bible. And so what is the Bible teaching us? It is teaching us how to walk circumspectly in wisdom through these books. How about the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes does what? It teaches us how to enjoy what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities. All is vain. What is he teaching us? To enjoy the things in which God has given us. Because if we try to find our pleasure and our joy and our contentment in things, as Solomon had everything, he says you're not going to find it. It's all in vain. So it teaches us how to enjoy who God really is. So as we look at specifically, I want to give you an example. Proverbs chapter 1. Very beginning of Proverbs. This is what he says. This should be on your handout. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. What is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying that when we understand the words of insight, 
we are able to make the right choices between the two options. That when we walk in wisdom, that we learn how to pray from Psalms, that we learn how to act from Proverbs, that Job teaches us to suffer, that Song of Solomon teaches us to love, and Ecclesiastes teaches us to enjoy. When we understand, when we comprehend that, when we have wisdom, we can rightly discern what it is that God wants us to do. You see, Proverbs assures us that wisdom is one of the primary ways to know and to discern the will of God. Wisdom and guidance are inseparable. When you apply wisdom to your situation, you automatically have guidance in the situation. Because what does wisdom do? Well, wisdom teaches you how to discern. Wisdom teaches you how to discern. discern. Here's what God does not want for you. God does not want every time that you have a decision that you rely on someone else to make that decision for you. Here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The veil, which was the barrier between God and man, was torn. And that means that you don't have to go to confession. You don't have to go to another man in order to communicate with God. That you and I have direct access to the throne room of God. And so we have the ability to go directly to who God is. And so what wisdom teaches you to do is that you would discern what it is that you need to do, that God desires for you to do in that situation. Remember, we're answering the question, what is God's will? How can I rightly make the decision for what God wants me to do? Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to grow in wisdom so that you can rightly discern the things in which he desires for you to be a part of. Because when you apply wisdom in your life, you are capable of discernment. You're capable of discernment. You see, when you walk in wisdom, you exercise discernment, which enables you to make the right decisions. There's times where there's been situations in my life, and I just felt like, okay, based on what I know, and based on I know who God is and the experience that I've had with God, here's my gut feeling, if you will. Here's what I feel like I ought to do. And sometimes it's taken years for that to play out for me to know whether or not my wisdom meter or my discernment meter was correct. But here's the deal. I applied wisdom in that situation, and here's what I know to be true about God, and here's what I know to be about, uh, true about His character. And so I'm going to discern, based on the wisdom that I have, what I should do in this situation. You see, discernment in the Bible is always attached to spiritual maturity. So in other words, we will not be selling discernment in the foyer after the service tonight. It is not something that you purchase. It is not something that you find. It is something that through wisdom that you obtain in growth. That God, as you grow in spiritual maturity, you're able to discern. So I say this in love and not to hurt your feelings. But if it's difficult for you to make a decision about the will of God all of the time, you are spiritually immature. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean or ugly. I'm just saying that to challenge you. That if it's difficult for you to discern the will of God, 
you need to grow spiritually. You need to depend upon God growing you from where you are today in wisdom and maturity to be where God wants you to be because God created you with a brain and God gave you all of the tools that you need. What does the Bible say? That you're equipped with all you need according to what? Life, which is this, and godliness, right? And so we've been equipped to do exactly what God wants us to do. How do we do that? We have to apply it. But most people don't apply it. Why is that? Because they never grew. Why did they not grow? Because they were afraid and they were focused on the wrong things. But God's desire is that you would grow up spiritually. What does Peter say? That we would get off the milk of the Word and that we would get to the meat of the Word. That's Peter's nice way of saying, get off the bottle. It's time for table food, right? And so for us to be able to discern, God, what is it that you want me to do in my life? It's not that we would whine and complain that God is not being clear, but it's that we would say, God, the reason that I don't know what you want me to know in my life is that there's an area of growth in my life that you are intending on growing me in, and in the moment I'm going to not focus on the decision, but I'm going to focus on growing in holiness. And when it's time for you to tell me what it is that you want me to know, I'll be available to hear it, right? Now, that's not what we want to hear, right? When I said this tonight that, hey, I'm going to show you how to hear the will of God, and and for those of you in the room that had a decision to make, you're like, yes, I'm not going to have to think about it, right? Someone else is going to make that decision. But no, that's what God is telling us. God is telling us, look, I intend on you to be capable of doing that through biblical application of wisdom, You see, discernment is the process of making careful distinctions in our thinking about truth. So I didn't want you to walk away with abstracts tonight. I want you to walk away with some practicality. You see, discernment, how do we get it? Well, it comes through listening to Scripture and to the means of which God communicates biblical teaching. So that could be uh, through messages. That could be through uh, you know, other sermons that you listen to. It could be through uh, conversations with fellow believers, so on and so forth. When we expose our minds and our hearts to influences that cause our thinking, uh, that, that influences our thinking, when we, let me start off, when we expose our minds and our hearts to things that influence our thinking, that influences our action. So we've got to expose ourselves to the things of God. How are we going to grow in discernment? We're going to expose ourselves to the things of God that begins to influence our thinking that will influence our actions. You see, the ability to think with discernment is synonymous with the ability to think biblically. It's been said, you know, that, you know, heard people say, I want to know God's will, and so metaphorically, I will, like Gideon, lay out the fleece. You ever heard that? Right? I'll just lay out a fleece, and here's what God will show me. Well, laying out a fleece is generally the lazy man's way to discern God's will. It requires no work, little discipline, and almost no character development. And remember, what is God interested in? In you and I becoming. God's program of guidance is different. He gives us uh, the Scriptures. He gives us the principles that are recorded in Scriptures of the things by which He expects us to make our decisions. So remember, it's not a blueprint. It's a game plan. 
And it's a game plan of principles. So what is the game plan? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about three things that you can do. If you're here tonight, I'm going to help you. All right? Here's what we can do. Here's what I've done in my life to apply the principle of wisdom to gain discernment. Number one, what do you do? Well, number one, you delight in who God is. And this may take a long time. I've been saved for 24 years. Delight in who God is. Some people grow quicker than others. Uh, if you go through starting point, that'll be a conversation, which starts on the 22nd, by the way. Uh, but some people grow faster than others. When we talk about D groups in the covenant of D groups, it says that I am entering a period of what? Accelerated spiritual growth. So, how do you do that? You delight. You delight in who God is. That you would say, God, I'm grateful that I have these decisions to make. What a great opportunity that you have. Well, should I live here or should I live here? You should be thankful that you have a house. Should I do this or should I do that? You should be thankful that there's more than one choice, right? We live in America, the land of abundance, and you can really do anything that you want to do. None of us are, thankfully, going hungry. None of us are in situations where our life is in danger, right? There's so many things that we can be grateful for. So what do we do? We, first of all, we need to delight in who God is. Why are we doing this? Remember, this is the game plan of how we can discern God's will and grow in wisdom. When I delight in who God is, what am I doing? Well, at the heart of discernment, there is a desire for God. When I am discerning something through wisdom, what am I saying? I'm saying, God, what is the right choice here? And what is that causing me to do? Look at him. I'm focused on his desires. God, what, what honors you the most in this situation? Psalm 37.4, one of my favorite verses. I've applied it in many areas of my life, in many situations. Delight yourself in the way of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. You see, when you delight in who God is, guess what happens? Your heart is shaped into God's heart. And that you begin to desire the things of God. And that is you growing in wisdom. You see, what God cares about most when it comes to doing His will is that our, is that our holiness in every situation or every decision would grow instead of us just focusing on the decision itself. God is more interested in our holiness, in our holiness. So number one, delight in who God is. You have a decision that you need to make. God, what is it for, that you have? What is your will for me? What is it the decision that you want me to make in this moment? Number one, delight in who God is. Number two, what is number two? You see, when we began to delight in God, well, here's what God's delight is. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it may be on your handout. For this is the will of God. God, what is your will? What is the will of God? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, your sanctification, your holiness, in other words. That is what God wants us to do. Delight in Him, number one. Number two, what does He want us to do? How can we apply this? Number two, well, determine to know what the Bible says. To grow in wisdom, you have to be exposed to wisdom. And what is wisdom? Scripture. There's, again, over 25% of the Bible is wisdom literature. So expose yourself to the things of God. Determine to know what the Bible says. 
You see, after you delight in God, it will lead you to Scripture. And in Scripture, in the most basic and crucial sense, the will of God is found in the words of God. You see, the true way to honor the Holy Spirit as our God in our life is to honor the Holy Scriptures through which the Holy Spirit guides us. I mentioned that, uh, you know, in our story, many of you know, God moved us through 2 Samuel 24, 24. So God used the Scripture in a sermon, as I was listening, to direct me in what He wanted me to do. And then I affirmed it through other uh, other avenues, but Scripture was the catalyst. And then through counsel and circumstances, God confirmed those things. But Scripture is what guides us. So to determine what God wants you to do by what He says in the Scriptures. Remember what does the Bible says in Psalm 119? Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so scripture memorization like we do through D group is a way for you to hide God's word in your heart. So that what? So that you would have wisdom. And so that in wisdom, then you would be able to make the right decision. So number one, delight in who God is. Number two, determine to know what God says. And number three, and this may be the hardest, obey what you already know. Obey what you already know. These instances of specific guidance. So you say, well, you know, and as I mentioned, can God speak specifically and directly? Absolutely. Does God still do that today? Absolutely. But here's what you're going to find in Scripture. In the midst of those situations, in almost every one of those situations, what do you find in the, in the midst or the framework of specific guidance? You find doing and discerning. You find doing and discerning in those situations. It's in the midst of present obedience to where new instruction is found. That I'm just going to obey what I already know. God, here's what I know you've called me to do. And I'm going to be faithful to that. And God, when there's something else you want me to do, and when you want me to move, then that's what I'm going to do. And so let me give you an illustration from that. So, you know, short, short story, long story short, um, I, in 2012, decided that I was stepping away from ministry. Matt decided that. This is my story. This is what happened. So in 2012, I stepped away. Not from church, not from God, ministry. And so I decided, here's, here's what Matt said. It's funny the things that you say, right? Here's what Matt said. Unless God appears to me like he did to Paul on the road to Damascus, I will never be on staff again. Now I'm preaching to you tonight and I'm on staff here, so ha, right? So, but that's what I said, okay? This is my story. This is what happened. I said, unless God appears to me on the road to Damascus, now I wasn't going to Damascus, uh, but I'm not doing it. You know, the reason is another story for another day, but that's what Matt decided. I'm not doing it. And so what did I do? I said, I'm going to obey what I know. Here's what I know. I'm still going to spend time with God because God saved me. I love the Lord. God loves me. And so I'm still going to spend time with God. I'm still going to lead my family biblically. I'm still going to be a part of a local church. 
All right? These are not the all absolutes, but these were the, some of the things that we decided to do in our own life. So what did Matt do? I was faithful to church. As best I could be faithful to God, I, I did my best. And I was obedient in what I knew that God wanted me to do. And so what happened? Next month, 10 years ago, I sat on the back pew. And God just through us consistent coming and being faithful and being involved and going on mission trips and sharing the gospel and living our faith out through just normal, here's what I know to be true about God, obedience, we stayed the course. Only because of God, we stayed the course. And what happened? In, in uh, June of 2016, I came on staff. I was, you know, preaching other places and doing different things, and I was asked to come on staff here. But what was I doing in the midst of that? From 2012 to 2016, what was Matt doing? Matt was walking with Jesus. I was following God. My title didn't determine my identity. I was following God. I'd, I'd been hurt. I'd been damaged. I'd been, you know, you know my story. I'd been through those situations. And I, God, what is it that you want me to do? And what was God doing? He was working on Matt of who I was becoming, and he was working in my heart to change me and shape me and to prepare me, and he's still doing that. But here's the deal. Here's what I decided in my life. I'm going to obey what I know to be true. I knew that God never changed, and I knew that what God desired of me was that I would continue to walk in faithfulness, regardless of my circumstances, and as difficult as that may have been, I tried to stay the course. And were there times that I wavered, or were there times that I doubted, or were there times that I was unsure? Yes, those are other amazing stories. But you know who wasn't, un that, who didn't waver in that situation? God. And he says, Matt, if you'll just follow me when you don't have the answers, if you'll just be obedient what you know to be true. And so that's what I did. I took the seminary training that God had so graciously granted me to have, and I applied it to my life in 2012 and 13 and 14 and 15, and I was still walking with Jesus, and I was far from perfect, but I was doing my best. And what was God doing the whole time? He was preparing a path for me right? What is that? In, in situations, God is doing, what do we say? He is opening a path of obedience to lead you to where he wants you to be. And you know, the whole time was I praying, oh God, what is your will? God, what do you want me to do? No, I was not. Because Matt had no desire to do that. My desires had been washed away. And the only thing I had left was, God, what are your desires in this situation? Because clearly my desires get me where I don't want to be. Can I get an amen, right? And so what did God do? God was working in the background, and he was shaping me, and the most work that God was doing was on Matt. And as he began to work, as he began to shape my life, and then guess what happened? An opportunity created itself. Not that I was looking for. I wasn't even praying for that. Remember, I decided it was never happening again. That's what I decided. And here I am, you know, six or seven years later right? And so the story is, obey what you know. I don't know what situation you're in, but I know the God who's in the situation with you, and I don't know what answer you're waiting for, and I don't know if you'll ever get that answer. But here's what I do know, that the things that you do need to know, you'll know them. And the things that God wants you to do, He will make it readily available and apparent to you that this is what I want you to do, because I've lived it. 
I've lived those situations. I know exactly what it means to agonize over what is it that I want to do or what is it that I need to do or God, where, where are you working or what are you doing? And I remember specifically in June of 2000 or no, April of 2012, I specifically remember praying, God, please do not let this go in vain. That I have no idea what you're doing and I've searched for the answer and I can't find it. But I know you are faithful, and I know that you love me, and you're going to work it out. So let it be an amazing story, right? That's what we want, is that we want our life to reflect the goodness of God and to tell the story of who he really is. And so you know what? I went through that situation so that 10 years later, I could stand here and say, Let me tell you about a time 10 years ago that I prayed, God, don't let this go in vain. Would you please show me what you want me to do to encourage you that he is faithful, that you would just be obedient in those moments. You see, hearing and doing the will of God that we know is the prerequisite to discerning the will of God that we don't know. Doing Hearing and doing the will of God that we know is the prerequisite to discerning the will of God that we don't know. Don't get hung up on what you don't know. Focus on the God who does know. And when you need to know, he'll show you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, even in spite of the nation of Judah going to Egypt, God, you...